0: Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson bringing to you this week news from Israel-Palestine, Canada, Brazil, India, Poland, the United States, and a see you in hell from Nazi Germany. In fact, lots of Nazis dead talked about this episode. I'm going to start out this week, as I'm sure you assumed I would, regarding the conflict between Hamas and Israel. Now, this conflict is much bigger, more serious, and more real and present than this Rinky Dink podcast has any right to be commenting on, and I am not an expert in this part of the world. I will say that both of these groups, Hamas and the current government of Israel, are representative of the extreme right wings of their respective societies. Well, I guess Netanyahu's government contains some of the extreme right wing, of Israeli politics, although his particular party is not the actual extreme right wing of Israeli politics. There's also some rumbling that it's possible that Donald Trump shared intelligence that might have helped Hamas engage in this attack, Uh, but that is all speculation at this point. I highly encourage you to find more expert sources in this matter when it comes to this particular conflict. Moving on to Canada there has been increased rumbling about problems caused by the so-called QAnon queen who's stirring up trouble for small towns in Canada. Now, I don't think that I've mentioned this person before. She is a woman of indigenous descent in Canada who claims to be the queen of Canada and has connected herself to anti-government QAnon conspiracies in Canada and also the northern United States in general. She lives out of a very nice trailer that drives around and sort of like sets up shop and causes problems for small rural communities, which means that wherever she goes, there's like a following of people who claim that she is the actual queen of Canada, you know, instead of King Charles III. And she is just continuing to be operative in Canada, and the Royal Mounted Police has to like be careful about her wherever she goes. Moving on to Brazil... Jair Bolsonaro, the former president of Brazil, has prepared, behind closed doors, his defense for when he is inevitably formally accused of participating in the military coups whose existence, or proposed existence, was outed by his former aide, Mauro Cid, when conversing with the Brazilian state police. Apparently, Bolsonaro's claim, what he's going to say to prosecutors and to the judges in Brazil, is that there was no coup because there was no military support. And also he never signed any papers saying that he wanted to stage a coup. And so the backroom meeting where he talked to military leaders about, hey, what if we had a coup, that that isn't something that could be prosecuted because it was just talk. Essentially, this means that he's sort of like admitting that that meeting happened though. So that's the former president of Brazil kind of, you know, backhandedly admitting and again, behind closed doors that he, yeah, yeah, that he talked to the leaders of the military and said like, hey, what if we... What if we stayed to coup? Moving on to India, famous Indian author Arundhati Roy might be prosecuted in India for a speech that she gave about Kashmir over 10 years ago. Roy is a famous author and extremely well known internationally in India, and she in India is also especially well known for her deep and very sincere criticism of Narendra Modi and the BJP, the ruling prime minister and ruling party of India. Roy has repeatedly criticized the BJP for a lot of its nationalist policies and has also specifically spoken out against the BJP in terms of its nationalism regarding India's various territorial claims. Now, the speech that she gave that she is apparently possibly going to be criminally prosecuted for involves Kashmir, a territory that India and Pakistan both claim that is on the border between the two countries. It's an extremely prosperous and extremely productive agricultural region. That's why these two countries dispute it. And she said in a speech that Kashmir should secede from India and essentially become an independent buffer state. According to certain Indian prosecutors, that is potentially prosecutable as a like seditious act saying that a territory of India should secede from the country. And she might face criminal prosecution for this. Moving on to Poland, there's been a major blow to conservatives in the upcoming Polish elections. Poland is having an election in the next week, and the ruling conservative party, which is called Law and Justice, is trying to seek another term leading the country. This would be its third time in charge of the country's parliament. They've faced a major blow from this as the two top generals in the Polish government have resigned just days before this election. Now, this resignation was clearly a signal. It was a symbol, you know, a symbolic gesture saying like, hey, if law and justice comes back, we don't want to participate. Now, this is a serious problem for law and justice because they build themselves as, well, a law and justice party. They, you know, they're a typical law and order conservative party. Law and justice has also been a sort of like go-between between Orban's pretty open opposition to liberal democracy in Hungary and the sort of like more mainline EU position. The resignation of these generals is also a specific morale blow to the government of Poland during the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Poland, of course, shares a border with Ukraine and also with stalwart Russian ally Belarus that might conceivably get involved in the Ukrainian conflict eventually in some capacity. That remains to be seen. Moving on to the United States, there is an ongoing conflict within the Republican Party in the United States over who is going to be the next Republican Speaker of the House. Recall that last week, McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy, was ousted as the leader of the House of Representatives, the lower house in the United States Congress. And this means that it's now time for the GOP to decide who the new Speaker will be. This essentially came down to three options. Either Kevin McCarthy was going to come back, that doesn't seem likely, or it was going to be between Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise. Steve Scalise has emerged victorious in the Republicans' closed-door vote, although it was an extremely close call. Scalise was, prior to this, the essential second in charge of the Republican Party in the House of Representatives. He was the House Majority Leader. Jim Jordan, a stalwart conservative Republican, Was fighting against him, trying to represent the version of the Republican Party that ousted Kevin McCarthy in the first place. Now, Scalise came out ahead of Jordan in this vote, but it still remains to be seen whether or not he has the votes in the House itself to actually seize the speakership. He can only lose the support of four Republican congresspersons if he wants to try to be the Speaker. And if the Republicans are unable, to find a speaker, or if they're unable to vote for Steve Scalise, then they need to go back and figure out something else. This kind of wrangling and going back and forth and, you know, like wheeling and dealing, this was how Kevin McCarthy got to be the speaker in the first place last year, and the fact that this is probably just going to happen again just means more deadlock in one of the big major branches of the government of the United States. Finally, this last piece of news is kind of technically from the United States, but is also a global terrifying trend last week there was a news you know piece of news about a major leak from the dna and heritage company 23andme this company accepts swabs you know like dna swabs from people and then produces a genetic map of their heritage and suggests living relatives that they might not know about or who might live near them right you might have heard of somebody doing this sort of cheek swab in your family this means that there's a company out there that the government can requisition information from about your genetic makeup 23andme was also how several like long time outstanding criminals have been identified essentially so there was a leak from their database last week there was news of a major hack of this information now i originally read this headline. I just read the headline and I sort of like filed it mentally under cyberpunk dystopian news and didn't include it in my list of things to talk to you about in this podcast. But I read about this further and it turns out that these stories literally buried the lead. Because this wasn't just a general leak of people's genetic information or people's like names and database information and stuff. No, this was very specific. Particularly what the people or person who claims responsibility for this, that there is a hacker who says like, hey, I did it, right? So it's probably a group of people or one person. What they were looking for and what they have and have distributed on various online databases in the dark web and, you know, throughout other means of conveying illicit information is a list of approximately one million people of Ashkenazi Jewish descent, the largest Ethnic group of Jewish people in the United States. This means that circulating on the dark web of the internet is a list of about 1 million Jewish people, their names, their gender, their genetic heritage. And with that, you could produce a list of the Jewish people in the United States. What a right wing person, what a fascist would do with this information boggles the mind. It's absolutely terrifying. Um, And it is a symbol, a signal, of the kind of horrifying possibilities of extremely online right-wing activity. As an aside, this is probably not a literal hack, but instead what is called credential stuffing, whereby users' passwords that they use for other sites that have been hacked or leaked are tried on different other sites. So this is a reminder, please be careful about your online security, especially if you belong to a potentially vulnerable community. Finally, going to close out this week, like I do every week, with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, I am doing a repeat, but it's an important one. That's because this week is the anniversary of the Nuremberg executions. The Nuremberg executions were the conclusion of the Nuremberg Trials, a series of international trials against prominent Nazi commanders that the Allies had in their custody after World War II. This means that people not included were any Nazis who died during the war or Nazis who escaped prosecution like, for example, Adolf Eichmann or Mengele, you know, people involved in the Holocaust, and also any Nazis who killed themselves prior to their possibly being prosecuted, including Adolf Hitler himself, but also Heinrich Himmler and Martin Bormann. Many other Nazis were put on trial in the Nuremberg trials though, and specifically these trials were for crimes against humanity and also generic war crimes. Out of the many prosecutions that resulted from the Nuremberg trials, 11 men were set for execution, which were to take place and which did take place after midnight on the 16th of October 1946. All of these men were killed by death, by hanging, specifically by hanging by the quote standard drop which is shorter than the long drop. A long drop hanging means that the body falls a long enough distance that it snaps the neck, causing instantaneous death. The standard drop method results in strangulation, meaning that some of these executions took 10 to 20 minutes. In order, the Nazis hanged on the 16th of October were as follows. Joachim von Ribbentrop, a well-traveled businessman and wine salesman, who eventually became the German Minister of Foreign Affairs after Hitler took a liking to him. He's most famous for his initial alliance with the Soviet Union and also provoked conflict with the United States and Japan, tried for being a general warmonger. Next, there's Wilhelm Keitel, a field marshal in the Wehrmacht, so the German army, who committed several war crimes. There's Ernst Kaltenbrunner, an early Nazi who led the Nazi secret police after Reinhard Heydrich was assassinated. Who's instrumental in the Holocaust and was technically the highest-ranking Nazi to be killed. Next is Alfred Rosenberg, who was nationally Estonian but ethnically German, a propagandist and ideologue, who led the occupation of some of Germany's eastern territories, namely places like Estonia where he was from, and was involved in war crimes there. There's Hans Frank, who is the leader of German-occupied Poland during the war, meaning that he was extremely important for the organization of the Holocaust, considering how many Jewish people and Slavic people in Poland who were the victims of the Holocaust. There's Wilhelm Frick, who was the Minister of the Interior and implemented race policy laws in Germany, so think Kristallnacht. Next is Julius Streicher, who is the founder of the newspaper Der Stürmer, which was a propagandist newspaper that eventually became the Nazi, you know, formal newspaper meaning that he was essentially tried for being a propagandist for mass murder, for being somebody who advocated for mass murder. There was Fritz Saukel, another early Nazi and a regional leader, who participated in the organization of labor camp exploitation and people's death by work. There is Alfred Jodl, who was the chief of operations staff to the high command during the war, tried for war crimes. There is Arthur Arsar Seiss-Inkart, an Austro-Nazi, who was deeply involved in the occupation of Poland and especially the occupation of the Netherlands, where he developed a reputation as an extreme hardliner involved in forced labor and extermination programs, and also the Holocaust. Finally, the 11th Nazi who was set to be hanged was unfortunately not hanged. The one who would have been the highest-ranking Nazi killed, Hermann Goering, a military leader, politician, aviator, one of the most powerful Nazis in general, president of the Reichstag, the Nazi leader in Prussia, etc., etc., was able to commit suicide the night prior, and so was unfortunately not executed. He made his own exit. So, to all of the Nazis who were killed, or who killed themselves, as a result of the Nuremberg trials, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share, and subscribe, or leave a review on whatever podcast app or whatever you're listening to this on. Check out my Patreon at patreoncom 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out in all one word if you want to keep this podcast going. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15minutesoffascism at gmail.com, if you want to get in touch with me or send me a correction about something that I said. I am on Twitter at hist of the right, that's H I S T of the right, and also fascism15, again, that's spelled out. However, on blue sky, I am not spelled out. I am on blue sky at 15 M I N S O F F A S C, so 15 mins of fash. All right, thanks very much, and I will talk to you next week.